Rodgers being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught! Touchdown! Keenan Allen! What a grab! That's what I'm talking about! Hey, that's what I'm talking about! That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy! Huge sack by Joey Bosa! 90-yard touchdown! 90-yard touchdown! It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Guyton! Touchdown Chargers! What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast with a special end of season roundtable episode. I'm your host, Andy Prophet, joined as always by Jack Reed and Alistair Lloyd. Boys, hello. Each of us, I speak for each of us when I when when I say we are delighted to have TDU's great mate and fair income all round legend Kyle. Did Dominic Antonio. Who the H-E double fuck are you? I'm Kyle. Give me those numbers, Kyle. That's good, Kyle. Give me those numbers, Creeps me out every time, just right. <laughs> it's great to see you guys. Uh, yeah, good welcome to see you, on board again, mate. Uh, Al shared some stories of your encounters over in the States. I hope he wasn't too much of a pest. I apologize if so. Uh, how have you been since the wildcard catastrophe? Oh, man. Um, that was a hard one. That was a real hard one. Al, what was worse? Your hangover after that one night we stayed up learning how to play craps or the Jaguars game? You kept making me Negronis and (laughs) shit. I was out of control. (laughs) Thankfully, my very sober wife was sitting there listening to your brilliant tutorial on how to win at the casino because then we took that and ran with it in Vegas. So that was fantastic. But... Uh, no, the Jags. The Jags' loss was worse. That was that was the worst loss as a Chargers fan. I don't think I, I would have been saying that. I didn't think I'd be saying that again after the Raiders' catastrophe last year. But you know, here we are. Yeah, that was that was the lowest I have felt since the 06 game. That was that's mm, the worst. The 06 game was bad. Worst loss since then for me personally. But hey, you uh, you let that go. You uh, look forward to a, another off season, which. Longest running joke I have is uh, that's where the Chargers are undefeated, and where I have the most fun each year is these yeah. months, which you guys probably have figured out with how much I like to nerd out and why all of a sudden I start writing articles again is in the off season. This is where my imagination can run free when hope just flows. So it's it's a good time, guys. It's a good time. We're champions again, actually. And yeah, let's have some fun. Let's go. Come on, let's bring the energy back. Yeah. Let's, let's go. go. Come on, guys. I love it, man. I love the uh, love the enthusiasm. So, um, like I said, uh, just getting into it um, today. Bit of a bit of a fun roundtable discussion between the four of us. Uh, it seems our academic maestro Jack has had himself a few paid weeks of uh, leave over the holidays, <laughs> and has whipped up some segments for us to use to generate, yeah, some reflective evaluation of the Chargers season just passed. I look back at some of the best plays or moments, and yeah, just have a bit of fun and um, cap things off. In a, in a positive way. So uh, without further ado, over to you, Jackie boy. What do you got in store for us? Thank you very much, Andy. Well, we've got three sort of separate segments today. Um, the first segment we're actually going to start with is called 2022 Compass or Charges Compass Points. Then we're going to go into a bit of a fun segment called Charges Menu Du Jour or Menu of the Day, which uh, we'll put some creative effort into, which I think hopefully will provide some laughs. And then we're going to go with some NFL and Charges props in segment three. Um, so before... 
much else? Are we, are we good to go? I think we are. Awesome. Let's start with our 2022 Chargers Compass Points. Um, what we decided as a four over the last couple of weeks is we've actually put together six propositions um, and we've been preparing uh, some responses to them. And the way that we have organized our responses, we've kind of taken the, the compass points, north, south, east and west. We're going to talk about what excites us the most about the prop, uh, what worries us about the prop. Uh, and uh, we've got the end, which is our north. So what else do you need to know to figure out uh, if you're going to about the prop or, you know, what your opinion is going to be? And then obviously south or S, which is your stance or suggestion as you're moving forward. So what is your current stance on that prop? So our first prop is Kellen Moore is the perfect OC for Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Experienced yet fresh play caller who will unlock Herbert's arm and accuracy. Alistair. Let's throw straight to you. How yeah. do you feel about that prop? Let's go. Yeah, that, my stance is that's the best possible hire for this stage um, of the available candidates. Now, we were talking before the show about how, look, I do like the idea of giving a young Zach Robinson, uh, the Rams kind of QB coach, pass game coordinator, a, a go because you never know what you've got until you give someone a go to play calls. But Brandon Staley is in a do or die situation this year, right? Um, we've learned since the hiring that the two of them were texting back and forwards for most of the season. And if I'm Brandon Staley and I know this is the year I've got to get it right, do I put my faith in an untested OC who may be a very smart young man, former PFF analyst, NFL quarterback, give him a chance? Or do I take Kellen Moore, who just quite frankly has coordinated one of the best offenses in the NFL for four seasons now, across two different head coaches, which people are overlooking a little bit. So he had Jason Garrett, then he had Mike McCarthy. All the while, the offense remained pretty good, despite having to manage those two different personality types. So current stance is uh, it's it's a prudent signing. It's a very exciting uh, signing for Chargers fans. I'm excited about it. You know, we've all dug into his background a little bit. And uh, so I'll throw to Kyle maybe to, to continue things. Are you... Or are you similarly excited about the hire? Do you feel like Kellen's the guy? I'm very excited about the hire, yes. Um, in terms of, it seems like he was the best guy available. I mean, when you have a young head coach like Staley that is still pretty experienced, inexperienced, the less guys that you have to teach up, the better. The more that can provide mm -hmm. sound structural support for him is great. So I like that he's been a play caller and has excelled. But just like you said, Alistair, I had the same thing written down under two different head coaching regimes. It says something that Mike McCarthy came into the building and said, no, I want to keep that guy. Um, that alone is a pretty good sign in my eye. Um, what kind of uh, concerns me, and Jack, I apologize, man, if this makes things harder, because this is something that I wrote as like a future point, talking point potentially on our other segment. But um the one thing that does concern me is I feel like it does create a need to make sure we really hit this quarterback coach hire because there's a exactly. very strong chance that Moore is a one and done. He's gone. Maybe if, I mean, if I'm Zach Robinson, am I looking at that? And is he still potentially able to be hired as our quarterback coach, which would be more of a, that would be so good, which would be more yeah. of a lateral move yeah. for him, but it's not a lateral move. If you're moving to a head coach, that's on the defensive side of the ball. Moore could then leave if he does well this year, which is what we all expect. And he'd be first in line to be the offensive coordinator and, you know, the offensive coordinator underneath a defensive head coach, which 
makes him the king of the offense. So that's now a couple different kind of swerved it a little off topic there, but that's where the more hiring takes me mentally. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Andy, what did you have anything to add there? So what what do you might need to see uh, in the next couple of months to think that you know Kellen Moore is the perfect OC for Justin Herbert the Chargers? You, have you got anything there? Yeah, man, absolutely. I think what I what I need to know and what I what I need to see is what the the organization is going to bring for Kellen Moore 100%. and what they look. We've got we've got weapons. Um, we've got running backs where Kellen Moore can utilize some of the stuff that he was doing in Dallas to you know excel this offense and the weapons that we have. But there's just a couple of things missing, and um, we want to see you know the the direction of the draft, um, maybe bring in a speed wide receiver because free agency is going to get a little tight. And if it, if, if it all existed, um, and I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit down the track. Uh, so I want to see, you know, quarterback coach is a really good point and that's a dream scenario, isn't it? You know, we spoke on our last show about Zach Robinson being a candidate to take the job and, you know, especially aligning with how Staley wanted to, Blend the pass in the run game, which mirrors the Shanahan kind of McVeigh offense, which is where Robinson comes from. If you're bringing in um, a, a guy who's not from that kind of pedigree, but still has a, a super exciting pedigree himself. He's a football guy. Coaches, uh, his coach was a high, awesome high school coach, and so his dad was a high school coach. Um, and bringing Zach Robinson in would sort of blend that uh, Shanahan system in, which would be great. So. Just to see where we go with the um the other maybe other changes to the offensive coaching group as well, um, and yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. Like it wasn't a name that I necessarily considered because yeah. he still had a job at the time, yeah. um, and I didn't know I don't pay attention to what goes on in Jarrah World because it's a it's a disaster if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's, um, it's micromanaged to within an inch of its life. I think, crazy. And, and that's something that yeah, I wanted well, that's to. It. That's, that's it. something that well, I wanted to bring up as well. And you think that Kellen Moore, you know, but was it really Kellen Moore's offense in Dallas or was it a micromanaged um, offense of both Garrett and then McCarthy? And we know Jera is lovely and loyal. So was McCarthy, to counter your point, Kyle, to say, was it McCarthy actually going, yeah, we're going to keep him? Mm-hmm. Or was it Jerry going, oh, we love this guy, so we're going to keep him in the building? There's all these kind of things there, nebulous and ephemeral. We don't really know. Context is really important. Um, Andy, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know. <laughs> What we do in the off season is gonna is gonna tell us what we're doing with our roster construction. If we don't go out and get a speed wide receiver, we got to start thinking about well, there's going to be some creativity to get these guys open because we can't rely yeah. on the physical traits um, as clear as well, what we we'll, saw last year. We'll find year. out if it's we'll find out if if it's scheme is that is the difference. You know, if they don't go in that direction of like filling in the speed guy, maybe another back that's probably a little bit more physical and can do a little bit more for longer than Kelly and Eckler and we can save Eckler. He can use Eckler like he used Pollard in the passing game. What are we going to do? And if they don't, then what are we relying on this guy's scheme to be the difference between him and Lombardi and Chargers offensive success? Just look at the metrics that he succeeded in with Dallas. It's, there's a lot to be excited about. The only thing, the only thing Alistair, I'll throw to you. Yeah. Dallas did have some pretty one-dimensional looks and we can all look to the last play of their playoff game with Ezekiel Allen under center and going, what uh, the fuck is going on? It's there? a Hail Mary play, whatever. <laughs> so too many people have pointed out that play. Are we judging the guys four years of playing call or like a no-win situation trying to get a 70-yard touchdown on a trick play? But look, it didn't look great, did it? I don't even know what that one, <laughs> that one was. 
People judge you I on your last they, play, unfortunately. Think, That's the way it goes. Um, but look, you know, I getting. think they did it slightly better than the Colts. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yes. So, Ed, look, Coles, you, do you have anything when, else when to you, add? Or, oh, sorry, Alistair. I was going to say, you know when you throw to me, you end up getting some stats, right? You get some stats, 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 everybody. The Ch- Chargers fans should be most, that? most <laughs> excited about the fact that this guy coached the number one ranked red zone offense in the NFL last season at 71% efficiency. That's an area where the Chargers really struggled. And then, then he also coached the number one ranked second half offense in the NFL last season. So we're talking about two areas where the Chargers have been terrible. And that's the hope. That's the cause of excitement that this guy has strengths in areas where we struggled this season. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Big time. I'm not going to regurgitate all the stats myself, but yeah, it's, um, it's impressive what he, what he's done with that Dallas offense under with Dak Prescott under center. So yeah, yeah. just keep banging it home. It's exciting with Herbert and Kellen Moore. Oh, and well. they did that ad together. It's cute ads. It is. <laughs> I mean, well, let, well, let's keep moving then, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's sort of stop talking about the offense here and let's start talking about the macro, I guess, look. And let's start talking about Brandon Staley. So second proposition that we've got uh, for our listeners and for us to sort of analyze is over his first two years, Staley failed to build a clear on-field identity. What say you to that? I couldn't agree more with that, Jack. Um, it's it's pretty distressing that Staley has built this concept of Justin Herbert being a gangster quarterback that's going to lead this team, which I fully agree with. Nothing that I'm trying to say is disparage Herbert. Herbert's my guy. But um, that he leans on that so heavily and also leans on this defensive scheme on the other side of the ball that's made to create a roof over the defense after we've kind of established a lead on offense in a sense, you know, prioritize being able to put a roof on the defense. But you look at our performance over the last two years and nothing that we have done on defense has supported his, supported that statistically. Um, Daniel Popper wrote a good article, a great article recently and I, I apologize if I butcher any of these stats. I'm kind of meshing them with somebody else because Popper had a different definition of explosive plays. It was kind of weird. He was judging yeah. running plays as uh, being explosive if they were over 20 yards in passing, if they were over 15. That might have been because he was trying to work with his nine. Right? For me, I don't really care. If the passing play is 15 or 20, it's probably a first down. So it's an explosive play in my book. Mm. But um, – Last year, uh, or in 2021, we were 11th in explosive pass plays that were over 20 yards. So we were ranked 11th. Whereas um, this last year, we were the fourth highest in passes over 15 yards. Mm. We were the second highest, the second highest in passes over 30 yards. And that's while we're giving up a ton of chunk plays on the ground as well. So if... What are we what are we gaining from sacrificing one side or the other? Like we're we're not. We're just performing poorly. If if we were getting beat up on the ground and if we had lost the same amount of games, but we had stuck to this idea that if we lose by the running game, we're gonna lose by it, but we're not gonna be taken advantage of over the top, that would be an identity. What we have instead 
is Staley saying one thing and for us looking like an absolute disaster um, on defense. Um, in terms of, you know, some call, uh, you know, maybe there's some optimism somewhere. Um, he did create a smarter ball club in my mind this last year, specifically on special teams. We saw this idea that um, we don't have to outkick coverage. We can do shorter punts, get our coverage there, and that's going to net us a better net punt. Uh, I liked that. I liked our gunners that were rookies that continually showed smarts in the game. Now, is that Ficken or is that Staley? I don't know, but Staley was involved in hiring Ficken, so you got to give him some credit. Um, I was... You also got to um, wonder if that same thing I was talking about on defense being a problem, just our defense kind of being exposed, is that partially because Joe Lombardi's offense was not really capitalizing when they did do good things? So that would be my, I need to know more information. Um, yep. mm. And my suggestion moving forward is create your identity by really both, both. I would like to see Staley both, Strengthen his identity, but take by taking what he's able to get with what's left over, with what I'm about to say, on defense, and just making it work as a defensive coordinator. Build that roof. If we give up yards, we give up yards. It's fine. On the ground, whatever. Yep. But build the roof. Yep. Yep. Invest heavily in offense. Talk. Let your gangster quarterback do his thing, ball out, and constantly be playing from ahead so you can drop back, put the roof on the D, and um, play that style of defense you've talked about playing. Um, but Yeah, cool. I mean, I'm just going to jump in as well here. And I think what you're saying is correct. But I think I've sort of interpreted this question slightly differently as well. And I agree. I don't think there's a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde, non-complimentary football going on on the field. I have a feeling that Brandon is building an off-field identity. There is a locker room identity that we're not privy to, uh, which is togetherness, is brotherhood. You know, one of the only reasons why we're playing in the playoffs is because of our second, third, fourth, fifth string guys coming in and doing their job. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe it's not clear on field just at this point in time, but it was fairly clear to us that there was a meshing of the defense in that second half. Mm-hmm. Um, the offense, who knows? We've got we've got Kellen Moore there. Um, Andy, did you have anything to say about that? I the identity of of us. Did you did you sort of see one? You were very big on the cohesion at the start, and you saw it, but then it then it's kind of disappeared. What say you? So, yeah, <clears throat> well, maybe it was. I felt a lot more of that off field presence that you just spoke about, Jack, um, and that. Because yeah, as the season started and 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 went on for a while there, I was really eating my words, thinking there's there's not much. I'm not seeing consistency. I'm not seeing like a, a I know you, you have a different game plan for every game, but like there's just no no consistency and um, still not. You know, last year you excused the fact that Staley's defense wasn't there, the personnel wasn't there, and then we brought these guys in, and sure injuries happened, but. The start to JC Jackson's Chargers career was pretty ominous and we're in a position now where we're locked into him and uh, one of our best um, imported uh, cornerbacks is more likely going to be a a casualty um, in Bryce Callahan. And we're locked into a guy who's coming off a serious injury with a howler of a start to his year. So there's, I, I, I tend to agree with it as well because we showed flashes of, defensive cohesion and then the last two games um especially that last half of the 
the wild card was just back to what it was. And you're right, it's Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. And you just, no consistency. Um, you say ruggedness and we want to stop running the ball, but we're giving up air yards and 100 yard plus games all the time. Yeah. Um, if you're a key back and you're not getting a 100 yard game against the Chargers, like, there's question marks over you, guy. <laughs> Alistair, uh, Alistair. Like, you're the uh, you're right. you're a big defender of of Staley as well. You know, you is there an on field identity? Can you can you can you sort of pick us up because we've all said that there is not one. Well, what say look, you? this is a nice symbolic representation yeah. of it, right? I'm holding up my glass and I've drunk half of it, and it depends which side of the glass you want to focus on. I do think he has failed to build a clear on field identity, and if you want to go glass half empty, this component. You know, are you a team who is super aggressive on fourth down or are you not? Are you a mm. team that rests your starters in the preseason or are you a team that plays your starters in a, quote, meaningless week 18 game? Uh, do you, as Kyle said, do you spe- specialize in stopping the big play or do you not? Um, is this offense built around Justin Herbert's strengths and his fantastic ability to access the deep part of the field or is it not? Those are still the unknowns. If you want to look at a glass half full, there are two things I'd say we should focus on other than your off-field comments, Jack, which I wholeheartedly agree with. There's a strength there and it looks like we're building a culture where the players are quite happy and like their coach. One is toughness. Staley talks about wanting to build a tough football team and the charges at the moment are 13 and 11 in one score games under Brandon Staley, whereas they were four and seven under Anthony Lynn. It did. I know everyone's going to remember the Jags game because it was the most recent and that was a terrible, terrible blown lead. But more often than not this year, in those one-score games, the Chargers were finding ways to win even when starters were missing. And I feel like under Staley, we're building a toughness to us that was not there in previous regimes. And the other one quickly is flexibility. Flexibility of approach. We haven't nailed it yet, but last season... We were finding ways to win the game by running it late. Philadelphia, Washington, the Raiders. We were passing to to get in front and then running to win. And then in games where we had to have a shootout, like against the Browns, we're putting up 40 points. And then on the defensive side of the ball, this year we saw the 49ers, where they're a great running team. And we had so many injuries in that game. And the team did a pretty damn good job at stopping the run for most of that game until the flood dam burst at the end. Whereas against Miami, a fantastic passing offense completely shut them out. So I think Staley wants a tough team and a flexible team. And those are two identity characteristics that we're developing. What do you reckon, Jack? Okay. Well, well, well that's a really good, I mean, that's a really good segue, I guess, into our third prop here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kyle, we'll start off with you again in terms of this. We've talked about Staley's identity on field, off field. We're talking about flexibility. We're talking about this. You know, there's a whole other dark side of the moon to that conversation, right? It's, it's Tom Telesco and how well Tom Telesco is building this roster. So Kyle, you know, let's start us off here, you know, in, in, you know, the 22 season, could perhaps suggest that Tom Telesco is getting better as a GM. What do you, what say you? There's definitely reason to believe that because we saw Tom do things last off, last off season that he had never done before. We had the Mac trade. We, um, plug your article, mate. What was that? Which one? (laughs) Oh, Uh, okay. Here's a shameless plug on bolts from the blue. We wrote an article on it. Uh, it was, I don't even remember the title of it. Um, it was, Something about uh, has Tom 
Well, here we go. Can we expect a different Tom Telesco? So looking at the offseason in review. Um, and yeah, I mean, between trading for Mac, staying aggressive or being aggressive with those, um, you know, post-draft free agents that we brought in. Uh, the thing that I kept harping on before was that I really believe like all those guys that we signed, Kyle Van Noy, Bryce Callahan, um, Fox, were all guys that we have signed at one point or another in the past to big deals to fill starting roles. But here we plugged them all in to be reserve players, which I think was was a brilliant move on his part. Um, this way he structured all of his signings in free agency, positioned all of those guys that he signed to exit and enter free agency, exit the team and enter free agency again in different years to potentially maximize the compensatory formula. There's a lot of things that he did right. Areas that concern me, though, is that mm. he still seems allergic to How training. long you got? What was that? Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Alistair, how long do you have? Um, as much as I want to credit him for trading for Mac, it just looks blatantly obvious that that was driven by Staley and that that's something that we should praise Staley for because <laughs> Tom has been very allergic to drafting in the past. And then when he wanted to trade out of the sixth round, was it, or the seventh, into the next year's draft again, he called the Bears back up, you know? When it came to our first round pick and we drafted Zion, which everyone was excited for, but I'm a very big believer in trading back. And when asked about trading back, how did Tom respond? He said, well, the phone didn't ring. No one ring. told me. I was listening to the mm. phone, but the phone didn't ring. Mm. I'm a real estate agent, guys. I have to put deals together all the time. Do you know how many times I just sit and look at my phone and hope a deal comes to me? That doesn't happen. So no. for Tom to do that really upset me. Uh, to go back to the Bears to trade with them because it seems like he doesn't like making these calls to trade just kind of blew my mind. Um, and that's and that's and that's worrisome, right? Because oh, yeah. and this is where perhaps if you're a defend uh, defender of Staley, Staley's bringing the relationships. He's bringing the. He's actually forcing a lot of these moves. He's forcing the trades. Uh, he's he's actually having a big hand in roster construction. The actual tactics and actually moving down in first and second and and perhaps getting more picks. That's still something that Telesco can't do. Um, I was going to point out that I still think Telesco cannot hit anywhere between two and five. Yeah. He really really struggles. <laughs> there if he's got pick one he's awesome he finds some he's finds some detritus in the late rounds but really those second oh. third and fourth round picks have got to be have got to be there this year um detritus. andy anything anything from you about like telesco getting better or worse as a jam or areas for improvement um i think look as far as the draft goes uh he's improved his drafting of offensive linemen in the last few years so credit there because it's it's been essential mm. um, and our future is uh, relies a lot on that cheap O-line to protect Herbert because, mm. you know, we'll get to it, but he's going to be, there's going to be money uh, being thrown his way soon. Um, he's done pretty well to structure the contracts of the free agents that he's brought in. But my concern is that because the, like the way that it seems and there's big concern looking into the charges is that it didn't pan out this way. Did he put all his golden eggs in the 2021 season basket and leave the roost bare for 22, 23, 24 when we actually can't afford to pay all these guys or fill the other necessary holes that we um that we need? So yes and no. I see why you can under, you can think that he's improved, but I think he gets away with a lot 
Um, and a lot of the heat comes towards Staley. Mm. Uh, but it, like 10 years, he's just completed his 10th season as GM. And I think he's, because he's friends with um, the Spanny, he's, um, he's got away with a little bit more than, than most. And it's, uh, it's a pretty soft head office in that way. So, you know, if they say that this is the last run roll of the dice for Staley, it's got to be for Telesco too. Yep. Like there's just, there's no two ways, but I don't want to think that way. That's all my, I've got to add on, on that. I kind of sit on the fence and go, eh, sort of, but nah, not really. I'm not convinced. Well, well, again, Win a title, motherfucker. <laughs> Alistair, again, this is this is a sort of a good segue. You know, you can sort of talk about Tom Telesco a little bit in this next prop as well, because TT is very, very much against the whole idea that rookie contract quarterbacks windows is when you got to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so let's let let's have a little bit of a discussion here. You can lead this discussion. You know, this proposition number four: the Chargers Super Bowl window is restricted to Justin Herbert's rookie contract. What say you to that prop? Uh, I've got a strong view that it's not. And the last eight Super Bowl winners, only two have been on rookie deals. So you can definitely do it. The two rookies were Mahomes in 2019. And when the Eagles won in 2017, even though Foles was the quarterback, Wentz was on his rookie deal. So they could spend all their money on other parts of the ball. Now, those six other Super Bowl wins, four of them were Tom Brady. And maybe just Tom Brady's the outlier who's so good he can break this rule. But Stafford won last season. He was not on a rookie deal. I, I think it's more important to pair pair your head coach with your elite quarterback and find um, excellence in those two areas. Let them grow together. And then, yes, no doubt it's easier in the rookie window. It is. It would be a real shame if with a quarterback like Herbert who's played at the levels that he has as a rookie, you don't maximize that like teams like, Russ, like the Seahawks with Wilson did. We do have a brilliant opportunity right now. So it's not to try and um, discount how important it is, but we shouldn't put all our eggs in this year's basket. Like Andy said, I'd like our financial decisions to be kind of like smart over the mid and long term rather than thinking we must win now because then we have to pay Herbert and we won't be able to do it because you can structure your long-term deal like the Chiefs have with Mahomes in a way where... Herbert's cap hits aren't so bad for the first couple of years. They're my initial thoughts on it. What do you think, Kyle? How cheap does uh, Mahomes' deal look right now? Just knowing that it's stretched exactly. out over another yeah, seven years cool. and that they can restructure it yeah. at any given time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, Kyle, I know you're, you're, a, you're a capologist, so I, so talk, talk to us about how that maybe influence, influences this discussion because there have been some changes to the cap, and that's relevant, right? Because you have these huge increasing con quarterback deals with huge amounts of guarantees how does the kind of cap play into that discussion well it's it, think really interesting things have happened in the last couple of years you have the, the apys the average per years haven't really exploded yet um from patrick's 45 like we've kind of got up to that 50 place that is one history of success and is going to come and change your organization but those have normally been on shorter deals. Mahomes' contract is kind of a unicorn because he stretched it over 10 years. And if you look at it, it actually plays out the exact way the Spanos family would want to structure a deal. He took very minimal guaranteed money mm. for somebody as good as he is. You know, It was something like $140 million fully guaranteed at the time of signing, which over 10 years is very small for a quarterback. I mean, look at 
Deshaun Watson got what was it? Uh, Two hundred and forty million guaranteed over four or five years. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah, nuts. Um, how they structure this for Herbert is going to be very interesting because if the pressure of Deshaun Watson's guaranteed money has influence on what Herbert signs for, but they want to maintain the cap flexibility that Patrick Mahomes has enabled the Chiefs to have and try to lock him into a 10-year deal, what does that guaranteed number look like? And that guaranteed number could very potentially be single-handedly the largest expense the Spanos ownership has ever spent on anything other than the whole lump sum of a payroll for the team. Um, So that's... And themselves. And what? And themselves, yeah. And their property. And themselves and their property. And and their dinners and and that kind of stuff. (laughs) That's cool. And Dean's hairpiece. So that's... There's going to be... Um, pushback on that in the negotiations to some degree, but if they give him what he really wants, I don't and I don't know what that is. I don't think any really do. But if they're able to structure it in a way that definitely benefits um, Herbert and um, gives him that long term security, somehow doesn't force them to put three hundred million dollars or two hundred and fifty million dollars into an escrow account the day they sign the contract, that's going to have an impact on it. The biggest thing though that I'm very interested in, in terms of, uh, you know, a suggestion is something that Alistair pointed out to me that um, when we were having beers and so far, and it blew my mind because I hadn't thought of it yet. And I don't even know if Alistair knows what I'm about to say oh, yet. God. I'm no, no idea. He suggested uh, if we move on from Tom Telesco, that Daniel Jeremiah would be a great replacement. And, oh, he's been banging that drum for ages. I, I, so I've been watching you guys' yeah. show. I, I don't know how I missed that. Sometimes I'm playing. I'm listening while I'm playing. No, we've never said it on Thunder Down Under. I don't think. I don't think we've ever said no, it. on I don't it, think we've uh, said it on Thunder Down. But on all our chats, I have. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems so obvious. I, yeah. I don't. I don't make the jump from media to GMs and stuff like that as much as I should because we've seen it. You're right. But um, I love his mindset. <laughs> Mike Mayer did do a great job. Let's just say <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> See ya. But he seems like the anti-Tom Telesco, which is what we're going to need because Tom's going to need to the long-winded answer to this question in my mind is, yes, we can keep the window open, but Tom needs to completely change the direction and how he manages. We're going to need to do trades. We're going to need to yep. rock the compensatory mm. formula. We saw what he did with a franchise quarterback in the past. Herbert, I think, has some more tools, but her, but Tom never really built that team to succeed with Rivers. He didn't. The one time he no, gave, no. A, gave him a shot was bringing in a stud center in Mike Pouncey, but that didn't even last that long. And it took him a while to get there. So I just, yeah. I don't have a lot of faith that post-rookie contract, Tom's going to figure that out unless he really Well, the thing, the problem is Tom, Tom is essentially the Joe Lombardi of general managers. Just look at the in-seat. Like he has never traded down once ever mm-hmm. in his whole 10-year career. And in terms of in-season trades, just look at this season, right? The Eagles went out and signed Ndamukong Sue, Robert Quinn, Linville Joseph. The Chiefs signed Kadarius Tony. San Fran signed, they traded for Christian McCaffrey. Baltimore, Roquan Smith. Buffalo, Naheem, Naheem Hines and Dean Marlowe. Where was the, like, um, 
I don't know, just the, the urge to do something when we had injuries at major positions and we are in a window. Don't get me wrong, this season was a missed opportunity. When you lose in the wildcard game up 27 points, that is a Super Bowl window right there. If we had one more star, one more guy who got we traded for in the middle of the season, we've just missed, the, you know, the year's done now, uh, 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 have to start again. Next year, he's got to look at what these other smarter jams are doing, your Howie Rosemans of the world, and understand mm. that you can be more flexible at dra- on draft day and in the middle of the season. All right, all right. So I think let's let's wrap this segment up with one more prop, and it kind of ties in beautifully to what we've been talking about. For what I'll say in terms of the Super Bowl window being restricted, it all comes down to what does Herbert want? Herbert might not need to take a big contract because he's that kind of guy. Uh, what's the relationship between him, his agent, and the Spani? Who knows? He's a good guy. He's not arrogant, I hope, you know, but he will he want a market resetting amount of money? I love this. Who this knows is, this is Americans versus Australians because in Australian sport, a lot of players take quote, team-friendly deals and don't maximize their earnings at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas a, a lot of Americans, they're just like, oh, yeah, he's going to break the record for most guarantees and biggest contracts. And of course he will. That's his right. That's what he should do. And Aussie's like, what? Don't do that. So It's, Al, it's very interesting. How yeah. do two, teams two treat their players? How do teams treat their players? Yeah. Do you see a lot uh, of loyalty yeah, from the teams? No. That's right. So it's different because all contracts are fully guaranteed in the NFL. Uh, sorry, in the, AFL, the AFL. in the AFL. In the AFL. In Australia, yeah. every contract's fully guaranteed. So teams don't have this ability to promise the world and then send a player packing midway through the deal. Mm. So it's a very important difference and you're right to point yeah. it out. It's also from a from sort of like an identity and philosophical standpoint to to be a one club player in Australia says a lot about loyalty and stick to itiveness. Even though you might play three hundred and fifty games and do all this uh, for your club, and you might never ever make the finals, you might be cellar dwellers. You'll be revered as a strong, you know, one club player. Good on you. Didn't chase the money. So it's fascinating. Anyway, let's get on to our uh, our last prop, and this goes into the draft. This goes into Lesko. This goes into Super Bowl window. Um, I don't think. Uh, rookie windows are tied to rookie contracts, but for other positions, definitely, definitely, definitely. And because Kyle, your wife loves Drew Tranquil so much, you know, she'd, she'd probably leave you for him in a heartbeat. Sorry, I should say that's that's a bit rough. There's no probably about it. <laughs> only if she doesn't break up. Tranquil! Only if she doesn't. Tranquil! Only if she doesn't break up the marriage. Okay, she'll just plug in as the third. You know, she loves. She I'd loves. It. <laughs> Uh, there'd be there'd be nude yoga between the three of you. That'd be interesting to watch. <laughs> um, so, Andy, um, let's. I'll, I'll throw to this one, this last one for you, and this goes sort of bring us back to full circle to our roster, what our defense looks like, and Staley. Uh, the prop is Staley's hole in his defense um, is front and center. The linebacker role is actually more important than we first believed. Um, we'll try and get through this quickly so we can get onto our menu du jour. But um, <clears throat> do you want to start us off with this one? Yeah, well, I think it's it's pretty interesting the way that the from the outside the sort of believed philosophy of Staley's linebacker um, has sort of developed. There was it all sort of started when the, the discussion was whether we re-sign Kaiser White or not in last year's free agency. Um, that was made pretty clear that we weren't going to do that. And look at him now; he's playing in a Super Bowl with the Eagles. Mm. Drew Tranquil, Tranquil, free agent. Um, wore the green dot a lot. Um, you know he's. He led the team for total defensive snaps, tackles. Uh, I think he had 14% of the team's total tackles. He also had 16% of the team's total missed tackles. 
Um, and as a result, uh, PFF weren't too flash on him. Um, but look, he's got that leadership in the play call and it'd be nice to have him back. We'll see what happens. Kenneth Murray, um, I hate to do damn weather chat, but he's as inconsistent as Melbourne weather as we experience yet another <laughs> bloody rainy day in summer. Junk. <laughs> uh, Troy Reed is a free agent. Uh, then you've got Amin Ogbongamiga and Nick Neiman. So that wraps, rounds up our five total linebackers. And it's, um, it's a concern because we're not seeing what we'd like to have seen out of Kenneth Murray. Um, he's has flashes in coverage. He has flashes in pass rush. Um, he has flashes in run defense, but for the most part, especially in the latter, he's just continuously making bad reads on the quarterback, getting sucked into blocks, um, looks totally lost if he's in the middle of the field. Um, so I think, I think it's, it is an underrated problem um, just to have a little bit of leadership and experience uh, vetted into that position. Um, I don't want to go into the Thomas David's, Thomas Davis years, but look, I don't, I don't see if you're not going to bring back Drew Tranquil, then you need to bring in a, a cheap veteran free agent in that, um, in that room. I think mm. um, that's where I sit. Al, yeah, yeah. how do you feel about the value of the linebacker position yeah, in this yeah. defense? I, I still, I still think it's the least important line of the defense. And I think there is something to be said for the fact that the Chargers were ranked 27th in the NFL for most yards allowed before contact. So I still think primarily it's a defensive line problem. And if you go through PFF's grading on it from a run defense perspective, our highest ranked defensive lineman, uh, interior D lineman, was David Mower, ranked 94 mm. out of 199. Everyone else was lower than that, and some of them much lower, like SJD was but how many snaps is Mo- How many snaps is yeah. Mower playing? That's a bit of a misnomer but that, there. But that Just begs the point. Be that careful. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, the point I'm making is there's not a single player in our interior defensive line who ranks per PFF in the top half of the league at stopping the run. So even though our linebackers might be struggling, they don't have the linemen in front of them who are beating double teams or um, holding their gap and a half responsibilities such that the linebackers can be kept clean and make plays. And what I will say people are missing is that we have one of the best pass coverage duos per PFF at the linebacker spot in the league. According to them, Tranquil's ranked 18th out of 168 graded linebackers, and Kenny Murray's ranked 35th. So we have two linebackers in the top 15 or 20% of coverage linebackers. They're doing a pretty good job. So I think it's really the defensive line that needs to lift more than the linebackers. Kyle, I know this is dear to your heart. I'll throw to you about Tranquil specifically. Do you think he's very important to this team moving forward? Can the Chargers afford to let him go? I think he's everything that everyone loved about White last year, but with this added versatility that White doesn't have. Um, we And we saw that. We saw his ability to get to the quarterback. Uh, I, I forget the, the numbers um, from White. I don't know. Did he have one sack or no sacks with us? I don't think he had any. Um, and Drew had five. Uh, he had a lot more hurries. He had more passes defensed. He had more interceptions. So he's more of a chess piece. And White occasionally, and this is a little disingenuous of me because I'm, I'm not giving White the same credit for playing as long, or Drew the same credit for 
uh, or sorry, I'm not getting White the same credit, that's correct, for playing alongside um, Drew and supporting him. But, you know, Drew only played alongside Murray this year. White and Drew played alongside each other the year before, and White had the kind of year he had. This year, Drew didn't have the same kind of support. Murray's kind of all over the place, like we've talked about. And Tranquil still did great. Um, What I'd like to see is, you know, that other linebacker spot be what we hoped and wished Murray would be. I think we have the, we've had for two years, one of the two linebackers we've needed. Somebody that's more of a pass coverage guy. Somebody that can, you know, make the tackle. The missed tackles was a concern, but Drew, you know, as a whole has done pretty well with, you know, getting the quarterback, stopping the run, yada, yada. I want to see us with a thumper, just one thumper. It doesn't have to be super fast, but a guy that doesn't do what you see Murray do with these missed steps, taking the wrong angles. It doesn't matter if you're fast, if you don't follow your GPS, you know, if you're, if you go in the wrong direction, you're going to end up in the wrong town. And that's what we see happen to Murray all the time. Um, Interesting thing, building off your point, Alistair, um, you mentioned, um, and I forget what the exact stat was, but our the lack of ability to tackle behind the line. If, if I, was that yeah. correct? Twenty seventh in, in yeah. first contact for the running back. They're twenty seventh in terms of yard, rush yards allowed before contact. So there's a very strange and interesting stat from when Staley was kicking butt with the Rams, and it was something similar. I don't remember if it was first contact or just tackles for a loss, but. Staley's defense was actually rated very low for stops behind the line or contact behind the line. But with this gap and a half half style of play, they were very good at limiting runs to like one or two yards. Like they just, they weren't penetrating, which is the essence of the gap and a half style. But they were really doing a good job of cutting off the running back, forcing him to slow down, try to find another hole, and then containing him, wrapping him up, tackling him, which is something that we have not been able to do at all. So what is that going to take to fix is a whole other conversation. Yeah, I I don't really know what they're going to do, but we just lie and wait and see if it's yet another sacrificial kind of spot. And we are more likely to let Kaiser, uh, sorry, Drew Tranquil go than, or not re-sign him than, um, uh, get rid of Kenneth Murray because, you know, that was the last trade-up folly by Telesco and he's not going to let that just die in the dirt. So he'll take it to his grave. So we'll see how that goes. Jack, have you got anything to add, add on in the uh, the linebacker spot? Or I think I think there was, a, there was a definite change when the CB started to play more press man coverage on the outside and the linebackers weren't asked to do as much zone into man and, and, ask, and sort of tracking um, wide receivers and tight ends as they go through the middle of the field. I, th- I think maybe that's why we might have seen an improve on, the, on the, the coverage because it was a little more clear that what Tranquil and Murray had to do. Um, but well, I do disagree with Alistair's prop to say that's the least important uh, position i think if we re-sign tranquil that's a sign of staley reflecting and actually going no actually this is quite important because if we look at the mcdaniel and the shanahan schemes now these are all crosses and slants they're all short um completions to a lot of yak so that middle of the field is going to become i think more and more important in the afc 
division with um, with the quarterbacks that we've got we've got to play every year. And Kelsey fucking kills us every freaking year at the tight end spot. Derwin on him, whoever. So we've got to figure out this middle of the field issue. I think cornerbacks, our our cornerback room look is looking half decent. We've got to figure out what to do with Derwin on the top where he plays. Uh, but this is a this is even though it might be the least important, I think this is one of the most important signings. And depending on what we do for twenty twenty three, so that's all I've got to say about hey, that Jack, one. Jack, I agree with you on that. Can I can I ask you a question to let you build on that a little bit? Sure. We saw Derwin get the green dot removed, not as a punishment on him, but to free him up to be a better player and to pass that on to somebody else. It went to Tranquil. So if Staley has shown that he'd prefer Derwin to not have the green dot, if we move on from Tranquil, mm. who gets the green dot? That is a fantastic question. <laughs> I have not said whether we're better. I, I think I pose when Andy and I were doing shows together, I posed the question to him that are we actually a better defense when Derwin doesn't play? <laughs> and I'm not saying that we are, nor am I saying um, that, that but it makes Derwin you think. Play. But it does make you think. And you got to think, well, why does someone get the green dot taken off of them? And you got to think about that. Does Derwin just play at a speed and process at a speed that is beyond everyone else on the field? And you don't want him to have that responsibility to communicate what he's thinking or seeing. And he, he just you just want to see him play with instinct and you give it to a guy who's perhaps, when I say slower, I'll use it for lack of a better term, but can communicate more effectively with everyone around him and perhaps plays a position that's not as impactful as a strong safety because if Derwin James is the green dot, everyone's going off of him mm-hmm. and he and he decides to blitz, for example, or if he decides to run yeah. blitz, ad lib, everyone's going, well, what the fuck are we actually doing here because no one's telling me what to do. Hmm. So I don't know who gets the green dot. I mean, I Kenneth Murray played with it. Am I am I wrong to say in some in some games oh. two seasons ago? I think he had it. Even on under Lee in sure. the first year, maybe for a bit. Did Kenny he? Murray? Maybe. Yeah. I, I, God, I don't. So, doesn't um, even know where he is, let alone where everyone else is supposed to be. Fuck <laughs> <Get> it out. <laughs> But it is, it's it's a it's a fascinating, fascinating question where the green dot goes because I I have a feeling that Staley's tried to make do in this Swiss army knife. I my opinion is it didn't work particularly well, even though he's a pro ball quarterback. So I don't know where the green dot goes. I don't know. No idea. Let's sign tranquil. Please. For for charges and Zena's sake. Let's, well, on let's that, sign we're, probably, we're probably for Zena's sake. Gotta finish that uh yeah, gotta finish that that bottle. Um <laughs> Can't be Nas Adderley either, because he's he's not going to be around. No, God. Oh, Jack. What's on? What's on the menu, brother? What's on the menu? Well, I don't know. Let's. Uh, this voice is fairly familiar to all of us. Romantic dinner. More like a fucked up dinner. If your fucking cooking was as good as your acting, you'd be talented, you dick. Can we work together as a team? Yes, yes chef. Well, if you're ready, Jonathan. Yes, chef. It'll be ready. Because if it's not, you can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, to the listeners, all right, we've, we've done a lot of analysis. If you're listening at 51 minutes, maybe take a bit of a break, go and have a coffee, go and have a beer or something. Now we're going to get into a bit of fun for a good sort of 20 minutes, half an hour. Uh, this segment is uh, the Chargers menu du jour, so menu of the day. This alludes back to where Jack, sorry, I'm talking to myself in the third person, but Alistair, Andy and I all worked in the same Reading restaurant. Reading your notes, are you, mate? <laughs> Together as teenagers. <laughs> 
what we've done is we've put together a menu of seven courses and it's a bit of creative fun. We're just going to shoot the breeze and shoot the shit here. Uh, get ready to laugh. Um, and our first course is our amuse-bouche. I'll start us off. Um, if you don't know what an amuse-bouche is, it's otherwise known as amuse-guel, is a French term for mouth amuser. So I'm giving my mouth amuser. Now I say this, it doesn't sound right. I'm giving my mouth amuser to Ryan Fiken or Ficken, fucking Fiken, because he's wet my appetite um, for what is to come with some of our fringe players. Uh, he clearly is a coach who gets players to buy into his team, so his special team, and some of the performances and development from the rookies and UDFAs we've seen has been fantastic. So little bit of tasty fucking Fiken. Andy, what's your amuse bush? Uh, my amuse-bouche tonight sees two bite-sized O-line hors d'oeuvres, if you will, prepared a la Telesco with the 2021 first-round pick netting a stud left tackle in Rashawn Slater. Chef Tommy is showing off his home drafting skills, serving up Zion Johnson and Jamari Salia nice. to start our, off our delightful Mwah. season. Mwah. Lovely. Magnifique. Magnifique. So uh, uh, Martha Muser, Muse Bush is a, a teaser for what's to come, right? And what's to come this off-season. And we've been talking about Drew Tranquil. He's my Amuse Bush. And Amuse Bush, what it lacks in size, it makes up for in flavor, big time. And I definitely serve Tranquil to Kyle and his wife, Zaina, who wants to eat him right up. So, <laughs> but warning. Fuck it out. Are you milking yourself there? Are you milking yourself? <laughs> Warning, the Amuse Bush, they're also seasonal and can change quite frequently depending on produce available at the time. And last season, as we saw, the Chargers served up Kaiser White for one season only and he disappeared. So let's hope Tranquil is a mainstay on the menu for many years to come. On to you, Carl. I'm 95% sure you just milked yourself and then pronounced it Amuse the Bush. So I'm, I'm <laughs> 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 moving on. <laughs> Um, so I took this a little differently, guys. I thought we were all making our Is own menu going joke? start to finish. So I didn't create a menu. I went to a Chargers potluck. And the first food item that went through the door at the start of the season, you could say, was Tom Telesco came in with this New Orleans jambalaya. Okay, And as he came in through the door, he said it was a new recipe that he had never cooked before. And he was really excited for it. He was sure it was going to taste delicious. Uh he heard Staley love jambalaya. That's why he decided to cook it and get a little exotic. It was delicious, but uh, it did need a little more Cajun seasoning. And it really, really didn't have enough meat. Uh, halfway through the dinner, uh, we ended up being totally without meat and just a soupy rice at the bottom. So it was kind of disappointing. Uh, what's <laughs> Sorry. Um Lombardi actually commented that he could have used a little more sauces and spice. Telesco said, well, we'll see if he gets invited next year. So there you go. <laughs> to you, Jack. Okay. All right. Well, we've had our amused bush of Alistair milking his nipples, uh, which was a fantastic start to the meal. I've got nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> uh, let's go to our starter. <laughs> Let's start for our, our appetizer. Uh, obviously, appetizer kickstarts the appetite. And this is a little bit controversial here, but I'm giving this appetizer to Justin Herbert's first three seasons. I truly believe that we have not seen the main course from this man yet. He's got untapped potential. Um, he's had chefs who've not only struggled to boil water, uh, couldn't crack an egg to save their lives, and think a piece of toast is a Michelin star dish. 
uh, and constantly, constantly were cutting off their fingers due to their inability to wield the powerful weapon that Justin Herbert is. So I think that even though he leads all rookies ever in passing hours or blah, 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 all these accolades, I would like a fully cooked Herbert because I'm sick of seeing an appetizer Herbert. Andy, nice. what's your appetizer course? Nice, man. I like it. Well, just to flip from where you started on your amuse-bouche, for starter, we have a smaller yet crucial part of the whole meal tonight. Uh, the special teams broth commences with the hiring of Ryan Ficken, uh, like the fresh catch of luxurious blue swimmer crabs across the northern coast of Australia, a bevy of fresh local pro- produce culminating in booming hang time on punts, Excellent rookie gunner play and near-perfect field goal success from the rookie digger, the kicker. The bowl is hot, baby. Yeah, give me some of that. <laughs> what was that voice? That's sultry. Um, so... <laughs> my, bed, my bedroom voice. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the table. I've had my Drew Tranquil for my muse bush. And now in the, the chef, sorry, the waiter wheels in a television. And the starter for me is just all-in teaser trailer for season 2023. Because I feel like I need that already. And I want it to start with, you know, the crushing loss to the Jags. And then shoots to Staley's speech with the team the following day. And media, camera pans to Telesco with his smug face, refusing to answer simple questions about whether he deserves to keep his job. And then the music changes and suddenly it shows Kellen Moore being hired. And Sean Payton being hired by Denver, even though he was spent all season gunning for Staley's job building up this revenge narrative. And that's my starter. I'll be ready for the next course after watching All In season trailer for 2023. Ooh, I like that. I like it. Do they go with the same brand? Kyle, have... Yeah. yeah. What have you got, Kyle? Or have you, have you done your menu already or have you got something else? Yeah, yeah. No, we got we got something else. It's not, it's, oh, let's go. It's not quite let's a go. typical starter. It's actually a drink. Uh, it's Khalil Mack bringing Ooh. a nice sangria to the potluck. Um, it What's was it? so delicious. First, when he walked in with it, he declared that it was for the defense only. But it was so popular and everyone loved it so much that the offense insisted that he provided enough for them as well. By the end of the potluck, everybody was drinking a Mac Daddy's Kool-Aid. So. Ooh, I like that. Big Mac Daddy's Kool-Aid. Better than milked nipples. Let's call it that. Um, or oh, poisson du jour. This is the fish course. Uh, now we have fish before we have the meat. I don't know what accent that was. I apologize. To you. <laughs> um, where I'm starting off is unfortunately fish stinks before it is cooked and it's pretty Ooh. difficult to cook well. Um, it is an amazing dish when it's prepared properly, but people are sometimes, I think, too scared to order it or cook it because of the difficulty of over or under cooking. It. It's a very temperamental thing. And I believe this is the Chargers organization to a T and is also representative of Brandon's first two years at the helm. He took a hard task of this cooking of the fish. First year, the fish course was looking great. It was cooking. It was cooking with gas. But in the end, those hot decisions, those fourth down led, those fourth down choices led to an overcooked piece of rubbery shit that car shoved down my throat. Ugh. The second time around, well, we did make the playoffs, but the whole season felt a little bit underdone for numerous reasons. Is it sashimi? Nah, it's a fucking Easter Island waiter pushing raw fish down my throat with his fist. Uh, that was a disappointing course. Fuck fish. What say you, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> Who likes it anyway? Ah, this one's a bit on the on the nose. For tonight's fish course, we serve an up dolphin. Cooked to perfection on nice. defense, presented atop a seasonal lush green Californian turf salad. 
This dish includes nearly 40 minutes of offense and over 350 air yards. For an extra fee per head tonight, we'll organize Justin Herbert wearing a respirator saying, Tua, I am your daddy. <laughs> While you eat. Awesome. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Hey, look, I, I'm not generally a huge oh. fan of fish, but one of the most pleasing things to me is raw fish. Uh, and in LA, Kyle, we, we got a voucher to a nice Japanese restaurant, Nobu. And they came out and they served otoro, which is the fatty part of a tuna's belly. And my otoro is otito bonya and Braden Fahoko. This next wave of fat, young defensive tackles, <laughs> and we've seen we've seen with Philly this season how important that is. So I like it. I like it a lot. A bit of Ortoro, the fat part of the tuna belly. We need to keep replenishing the interior defensive line, and we took some good steps in season twenty twenty two. Nice, nice, <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. So for the potluck. Joey Bosa brought some, I don't know if you guys know this, but there is actually a fish called zebra fish, which can be skinned and eaten as a kind of like a sashimi type type uh, meal. Uh, Joey went all out and bought a zebra fish sashimi tray for about $55,000, served it up to everybody and then complained the whole time that they were there. So that was, that was Joey's. (laughs) Is that the total num- Is that the total amount of the fines that he copped in uh, the wildcard weekend? It's right around there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> right around that. That's that. an expensive oh, fish. That, yeah, yeah. That's we haven't talked shit. about his blow up at the Philly fan, but we might leave that to oh. later on. We might leave that. Um, we've obviously got the main course here. We've got the meat. This is the some some kind of meat now. Um, I have gone with the oven roasted quail. I don't. Sorry, I'm going to stop doing accents. <laughs> oven roasted quail with. <laughs> With the tobo apricots, with the smoky chipotle sauce, and why are we going if that Mexican style? We all, I think we all know where this is going. It says this is about Michael Vato Davis, you know. Yeah. To me, I don't think there was any prime rib on the menu. So anywhere. what the fuck was that accent at the start? I have, then? I have no idea. <laughs> I was trying to go Mexican, but I should not do that. Um, I apologize if I've offended anyone. But I, as I said, there's no prime rib on the menu. All the big names, um, you know, you alluded to it in your sangria, Kyle, but Mac, Bosa, Derwin, Keenan, Mike, Jackson, these are all prime bits of Wagyu beef. I just don't think they've had a good uh, pasture season because they, they were all fairly underwhelming. Um, it, it just wasn't up to scratch. But the long and lithe Vato, like a quail, helped lock it down the secondary, proved he's a top 15, maybe even top 10 CB in the league, and fought hard and was kind of the hero of this team. So he's not a prime rib, but he sure is a tasty main dish. So well done, Vato. You're my MVP for this year, mate. Well said. Nice, man. Yeah, I'm high, hot on the Vato train. Main course, what we came here to see, a season Back end of nasty frugal defense. Kyle Van Noy aged prime rib fresh off the grill, sacking all appetites in sight. Awesome. Top recognition for shutting down mediocre offenses and launching a six and six shithouse flounder from the fish course into a four score Wagyu streak with playoff bound roast potatoes and a Mac attack bean cassoulet. Oh, fantastic. Lovely. So this main meat course is actually going to ruin the meal because it was that kind of season for the Chargers. Out comes the chef himself, not the waiter. The chef comes out with a stainless steel cloche and he drops it in front of you and he reveals what's underneath. 
and I'm looking at it and it looks like it's some kind of, I don't know, meaty thing, dark colored, and I start to eat it. I say, what's that? Is that rabbit? Is that deer? It's actually quite sinewy. It's served cold. And I look next to the cloche and there's just a small bowl of fava beans. And I say, what was, was that liver? And he says, yes. In fact, that was Joe Lombardi and Shane Day. (laughs) And I look at my glass and I realize I've just eaten them with a nice Chianti. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Bit of cannibalism in this menu. I like it. Interesting. The suckling noises is on brand for Alistair right now. It's a big suckling episode. Yeah, it for is. Him. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, a real extra yeah, day. So two, two meat dishes got brought to the potluck. First, Justin Herbert. Believe it or not, Justin Herbert brought in, he, he deviated from brisket and brought in ribs that looked delicious. But as he was walking in with Zion, this big cat came and actually scratched him, made him drop his ribs on the carpet. It was terrible. So we had to actually pick them up, and uh, they were totally toast. Herbert's ribs were done, and uh, to clean them up for everybody, he had to wash them under the sink, so the ribs lost all their sauce. So it was really (laughs) tragic. Uh, Oh, man. The other meat item was, I don't know, actually, I covered that with Joey. We're good. Back to you, Jack. There we go. Yeah. All right. Cold, disgusting oh, no. sauces. I'm sorry, Jack. Ribs. I do have one. I do have another one. It was Derwin's. Okay. Uh, Derwin brought an aged tomahawk steak uh, that he had slammed and tendered repeatedly. Uh, the tragic thing was when Derwin walked in with it, he had a couple bandages on his arms. It was clear that while beating up this tomahawk steak, he had been burned a couple times. Yeah. Mm. Sorry. I know that hurt writing. Oh, well. Yeah, that that hurt. That did hurt. All right. The dessert course. Personally, I'm not a dessert person and I'm going to completely, I'm going to completely, for me, I'm I'm moving it straight on. I'd I'd much rather stick to savory and cheese dishes. So with this mindset, I'm, this dessert course is an a la romade. It's a completely meh. Um, There's only so much you can do with ice cream, pudding, maybe a tart, fucking spare me. Like, just get rid of it. Personally, this is my personal opinion. You can disagree with me. Um, but if I don't have to see another inside zone run on second and 13 that goes for one yard, and then we, sit, we do a four wide receiver set, all running stick curl routes short of the first down marker, I'll be happy. That's it. That's I, I don't want any more of that. Get rid of it. Lombardi, apparently you've been eaten already in a cannibal way. So you're gone. Um, dessert is a miss for me. See you, Lombardi. Andy, what say you? Not eating at your restaurant, Jack, but um, you mine. did justice on a uh, Lombardi-related dessert because I, I binned mine and went with a different special because there's nothing sweeter than the return of some classics. A little slice of Mike Will pie, the Keenan brulee, both veterans making it so clear how important they are and the value of their contribution to this offense. A nice compliment to the defense toward the back end as well with a little bit of short mac real quick. <laughs> ah, ah, that's a very much an inside joke, that one. But uh, yeah, short match. I short enjoyed it. Quick. Uh, yeah, my dessert course it. is called Stroopwafel. And oh. it was invented in the 18th century in the city of Gouda. So we're talking about the Netherlands. 
I did a semester of exchange in the Netherlands back at university. And these delicious Dutch cookies consist of very thin layers of syrup, sugar, butter, and cinnamon. That's sandwiched between two thin wafers. And my equivalent... Oh, they're awesome. Oh, they're magnificent, mate. I love that shit. Yeah. And it's Justin Justin Herbert. You've got to give homage to our leader. The guy who played through a torn labrum and fractured cartilage. We found out the torn labrum only recently, right? And I liked this because, you know, the Dutch have their long blonde hair, just like Justin Herbert. And the thing about Stroopwafel is you'd every time you enjoyed it, you'd be like, this is fucking awesome. And then you'd forget about it for maybe a few months. And then you'd eat it again. You're like, I just never get sick of this shit. And you don't properly appreciate it. And I feel like that is Justin Herbert. He has a game where he has, you know, a touchdown and 300 yards. We've become so accustomed to his excellence we barely appreciate him anymore. So that is the Stroopwafel, and that is Justin Herbert for dessert. Well said, man. Well said. Awesome. Awesome. Well, to the uh, Chargers potluck, Asante <laughs> Samuel uh, actually brought so many delicious apple turnovers that uh, everybody, Ooh. yeah, it was delicious. Everyone really enjoyed them. But the problem was they enjoyed them so much, and he brought so many to the party. That everyone got a food coma and had to leave, you know, early. <laughs> oh, man, that actually makes me laugh, but it actually makes me cry at the same time when you're saying that. Oh, yep. God. It did writing it, too. Uh, all right. <laughs> all right, listeners. Last it, the cheese card is being pushed out. Stinky, hard, soft, creamy, gooey, oozing, sharp, tangy, goaty. You'd think I'm describing the state of my pants after watching a Chargers game. <laughs> But in fact, Goatee. I'm talking about cheese. <laughs> is this Jeopardy and we're playing What is Al's Milk? <laughs> oh, man. Hey, on. Anyway, sorry, this is fantastic. Like the Chargers, cheese is one of my favorite things to enjoy in life. So the final course uh, goes to the Chargers as a whole. I do truly, truly love this team. But man, just like all sorts sorts of cheese available to choose from, this team is a roller coaster ride of emotions every freaking year. I love cheese. I love the charges. My menu is complete. Um, I'm a nuffy, and I love it. Andy, what's your cheese cart or cheese course I saying? Love lamb. <laughs> uh, you ate a whole wheel of cheese. I'm not even. I'm not even mad. Uh, to finish off for me, cheese and crackers tonight. Um, a sour teal Jaguar milk Stilton, 27 vintage, served with bear crackers, a choice of ref abuse, or double crunch helmet smash. It was a really sad way to end. Yeah, nice, man. We've gone yeah. the exact same cheese. I went with Epois de Bouillon, which is the French cheese from Burgundy. Usually gets top marks for being the smelliest cheese in the world. Aged for six weeks <laughs> in brine and brandy, it is so pungent that it's banned on French public transport. So I've gone the smelly one to finish because we had a smelly finish to this season. It befits the 27-point-blown lead to the Jags. So Epois de Bourgnon, just to leave that awful smell and wanting to fix it up in season 2023. To you, Carl. Beautiful. Like that cheese is banned in in public in France, Joey Bosa should be banned from talking to strangers in public. Well said, Andy. Got Got him! You broke, bitch! (laughs) Come on, Why don't you go buy tickets to that game that, you know, I'm like, God, 
Stop. Stop. Jeez. Um, I, again, deviated from uh, cheese, went with the potluck. Uh, so to wrap up the potluck, it was important to point out that of all the menu items that everyone brought, Staley actually just brought leftovers from another potluck, and they ended up being better than anything anyone else brought to the potluck. Well, okay. I, right. Fox, Callahan, uh, Mac, and all those guys is what we were alluding to there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, good, nice. good finish. Sort of a, a, a very interesting uh, finish to all of our meals. But I think if you're still with us, listeners, you're doing a fantastic, fantastic <laughs> job. Um, and I thank you. But this is good catharsis for us as podcasters. Absolutely. You know, we we do a lot of we do as a lot of podcasters and fans stuff. of this goddamn team. We, we do a lot of in season stuff. We need to get stuff. a bit, need to get a little bit loose and a bit silly and have a bit of fun. And hopefully, you can just you know kick back with a frothy yourself and enjoy it. And take for what it is. Exactly. Could have been worse. It could have been better. Exactly. This one's for us, guys. Just eat your damn beans, man. (laughs) All right. We ready to go? Let's go. If you don't know what that sound was, uh, you've been living under a rock for the last 24 months. Uh, that is obviously the very famous Squid Game red light, green light game where it's like, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? If you're caught uh, moving when the doll turns around, you get shot in the head. Uh, that's not what's happening now, even though we've had some cannibalism and weird things and milk going on here. No, we're going to move away from that now. What's going to happen? I've got a list of about 30 or 40 props um, in front of me, we're going to go round, round table style. Uh, the guys are going to have 10 seconds per prop to either choose green light, which is yes, I, I agree with that, or red light, no, I disagree with that. And we're going to go around as fast as we can to see if we can get the show in and under one hour 30. So first red light, green light, I'm going to throw to Kyle. Sean Payton will win the battle of wills against Russell Wilson and make Denver a playoff team in 2024. Or oh, 2024. I would say 2024, I'd still say red light. Red light. Alistair, the Chargers missed out by not hiring Zach Robinson as their offensive coordinator. Red light, green light. Yellow light. (laughs) I reckon he'd be awesome. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll change this next year depending on results. Yellow light. Okay, Andy, drafting a speed wideout and a strong running back will be priorities in this draft. Red light, green light. Going to green light that. Cool. I believe it and I think it'll be the case. Okay, one for me. Life would be better off, uh, would be better for all things charges if Jeff Bezos bought the team instead of the commanders. I don't know. I I actually think Jeff Bezos is actually probably a worse human being than the Spanai. So I'm going to say red light on that one. Kyle. Defamation suit incoming. Moving on. Let's go. (laughs) No longer on Amazon podcasts. Uh, With the new OC. With the new OC, the Chargers will only carry two QBs in 2022. Red light, green light. Hopeful green light. Hopeful green light. Easton sticks a free agent as well. Mm. Is Chase under contract, Kyle? Is who? Not sure. Chase Chase, Daniel? Chase Daniel. No, one year. Wow. He, was, he was one year of vet minimum, I believe. Um, there's rumors that Cooper Rush might come over, but he played well enough to get a better contract than the minimum. So I, I, just, like I, don't, I don't agree with those rumors, but we'll see. 
That yeah, would it'd be, be great. If we can yeah, get it for the minimum, it'd be great. But we just can't afford to spend, you know? No. We can't afford to, we just this year we cannot simply afford to waste a spot on Eastern Stick no. and go. Oh, he'll, no. he'll be sell, he'll be selling insurance in like four months' time. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel that uh Keller Moore is gonna replace Chase Daniel anyway as that mentor kind of colleague yep. uh for her. Like it. Good call. Yeah. yeah. So I'll green light that shit, Jack. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Uh <laughs> Alistair, JC Jackson, your man, will have over six point five INTs in two thousand and twenty two. Oh, red light, no, green light. Red light. I'll be happy if he takes, sees the field. Six and a half interceptions, far out. This is Gaga land, red light. <laughs> red light, okay. Andy, this is a referee question. All NFL referees should be employed on a full-time basis. Mm, that's a good one. I actually stole this from an excerpt from the Pat McAfee show, which I enjoy watching. Um, and it's a good chat because a lot of those like secondary... Oh, just sorry, I won't, I won't get into it. Uh, green light. Green Green light. Light. Okay. No, I was interested in what you were going to say. Go on. What do you? Yes. Yeah, so, oh, no, look, no, essentially, a bunch of the like the non-head referees are employed on a part-time basis, so they're less like the way that Pat explained it is they're less involved in the actual NFL, and they might be more prone to like a bit of outside noise. So when they're missing like Devontae's fourth-down catch, and um, you know they're not calling all those holding penalties on the Chiefs O line. I'm just using a couple of like title game examples. Um, I don't know. You know, they're not. Maybe they're not seeing stuff that they should, and it's it's serious stuff because there's so much noise coming from oh, refs miss this shit, refs miss that, and it just tarnishes the result of these important games. So, so Andy, did, did, the NFL has the money to do it, and they should do it. Just employ these guys and make sure that we're all on the same level, and we get. Did it you done. watch Pat this week, Andy? Because he had Gene. I forget his full name. Gene Serator, however you say his name. Serator. That, that head ref. Yeah, right. No, actually, uh, I haven't. I was thrashed at work, uh, so I didn't get too much um, screen time this weekend. But uh, this week, look that but, one up. Um, it, what did what did what did Gene have to he say? He was very adamant that um, they lock the refs in, and each week for every call that's a big deal, they grow them from it and downgrade them, upgrade yeah, right. them, and whatnot. And if you look up their salaries, like so how is Chef is calling the Super Bowl? Then how is Chef is calling the Super Bowl? He's ah, throws the most flags in the league. It's going to be an absolute laundry. I don't get it either, Andy. He, but he was so, and he's removed from it now. He's hired by a studio or network. He's not hired by the NFL, but he was very adamant of saying, like, you guys got to understand. There's all this stuff that does happen that is trying to keep yeah. that under control. And I was, I'm, I'm fully on your, your side with this. I'm like, we've got to figure out yeah. how to pay them enough to make them at least enough of them to not be tempted with these studio jobs where they're making accountable. More make them accountable. accountable. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I agree. Yeah. I agree. All right. I agree. I think the referees are playing. Far you don't too like much. it as fans. You don't like hearing about it on Twitter from the players. Cause it makes them look like shitheads for bitching about it. And then you get the videos of, Max Crosby, who was probably fair enough, saying that Joey Bosa was acting like a crybaby. Um, but, you know, Joey Bosa kind of has that shit coming. He's always got a target on his back talking shit about the Raiders. So I like to let that stuff play out and just hope that the referees do a good job and so we don't have to deal with, oh, but if this happened, they could have won. Fuck that. I want to know. Kyle, yeah, right. the Chargers should trade or cut Keenan Allen this offseason? Oh. Red light, green light. Um. Trade or cut? They should not cut him. Uh, they can trade him. Uh, I would trade him personally. Um, but that's just me. I would green light the trade, but I would not. Though two different things: green light the trade, red light the cut. 
Yep. Tao might okay. have a few words to say about that, Carl. We okay. might. Okay, Alistair, this one's for you, baby. We should feel sorry for Derek Carr. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Red light. Why? The guy's an absolute multimillionaire for having not one modicum of talent anywhere in his body. That's that's boom gates down and stuff. Yeah, no. Nah, that ain't going what anywhere. You, no. What are you feeling sorry for? Guy's a tosser. All right, next. That's the only time I've sorry to just jump in. The only time I've ever like felt some affinity towards Derek Carr was that interview he took at the Pro Bowl um, when he just lashed. He just you know clapped back a bit at the Raiders and said, "Oh, uh, maybe I've never been on that that much fire in Las Vegas because that's why I'm heading elsewhere." I was like, "Hey, you're not a fuckwit completely." <laughs> that's not a red light, guys. That's no, a you're on your way to work and you're already kind of running late, and a train, a freight train, just went through, and now you're stuck there for 15 minutes, and you are definitely going to be late. Yeah, the old yep. Union Pacific. Yeah, I know that, another one. Uh, Andy, red light, green light. Trey McKitty is Tom Telesco's worst ever draft pick. Oh, Ooh. man. That's a hard one. You know how I feel about Trey McKitty as well. He's had some she's had some howlers. Mm. But I'm going to be quick and just say green light because I like just – Good. Can't stand him. Good. I, like him. <laughs> I fucking hate that guy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, just the, the feeling that he gives me when he's on the field. That's what I can't. All right, Kyle, here we go. Yeah. Uh, like in ice hockey, once a game, a coach could, should be able to throw a white challenge flag and ask the referee to an on-field gladiatorial fight. Whoever is the victor wins the challenge. Red light, green light. Uh, green light, but once per game, he should just be able to go up. No flag, nothing. Give him one push, okay? Let him know it's happening, and then they fight. There's no oh. no flag needs ah. to happen. Just let him know. Or just the ice, one or the other. Uh, this is a very, very morbid question, but Alistair, I'm putting this to you. Red light, green light. The Chargers okay. D will be better in 2023. Oh, I don't even know if I want to say this, actually. I have to now. If Derwin suffers a season-ending injury at training camp. Who put that one together? Wow. Ooh-wee. That was mine. Uh, red oh. light on it. <laughs> yeah, of red. course. <laughs> oh, so you just fluff yourself up. Well, it builds Jeez. on the idea that is this defense better with or without Derwin, right? Because they did yeah. play a little bit better. So the, the idea would Eat be some guys, Staley's forced to simplify it and all that kind of gear. But no, no, no. He's the spiritual leader and all that jazz. So no, better with yeah. Derwin. Of course. All right, Andy, uh, Alexander and Faye Spanos should be investigated by the U.S. Administration for Children and Families for naming their sons Dean and their daughter Dee. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know where you were going with that, and I really just wanted to red light it to avoid any kind of potential shit that I've caused myself from the last question. But, yeah, green light that. (laughs) Dean and Dee. It's like, (laughs) that's bad. That's a McKitty bad. One uh, step away from thing another... one and thing two. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. I won't have to worry about it if he's not on the roster next year. All right. Kyle, this is a hairy one. Justin Herbert is not a top three quarterback in the AFC. Red light, green light. Oh, in the AFC. Oh. Oh. Cycle through teams. Head or hard here, Kyle. Um, I'd say red light. Head or Red light. Oh, he is good. I like that. I like Mahomes, that. Mahomes, Burrow, Alistair. Allen, Lamar. Oh, Lamar. Uh, I, I love Lamar. He's fun, but I wouldn't want to build around him personally. Well, which of which of Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen is Herbert better than? Um, he's Allen. right there with Allen. Oh! Yeah. 
Alan got exposed. Uh, that, that would be my answer too. Bit. If you want if I was going to force him in, I'm yeah. going. And I, and going I put Burrow's ascension more no, towards no, no, no. team building than I do him being better than Herbert. I think if we give Herbert explosive mm. weapons on offense, we're going to see similar results. Mm. Personally, yeah. Mm. If we give if we give Herbert the Bengals O line, I'm sure Herbert would be uh, loving it back there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Break okay, Alistair. <laughs> Shanahan and Lynch should be fired for not fixing the QB position in San Fran because they have missed the opportunity to win multiple rings and be a decade-dominant team. Red light, green light. No, I do not fire coaches who make playoffs every year. That is kind of my thing, not to fire playoff-winning coaches. So a hard fucking red light. And you, if you're listening out there, you know who you are. Ooh, shots fired. I like this. I like this. Uh, <laughs> do you? <laughs> Stanley's 0-1 in the playoffs, brother. Just, just like yeah. Trey Lance has barely even played yet. They, I mean, they sold the future to, to go it's after this yet. quarterback. We don't actually know if he's good or bad yet. So um, kudos to Shanahan and Lynch for building such depth at that position that they made the NFC title game behind a seventh-round rookie and Josh Johnson. Okay. Andy, this is a bit of a draft question. Wide receiver is now the second most important position in the NFL behind QB. Oh, it could be a draft, but that's the question. Red light, green light. What's that got to do with the draft? So oh, because like, who do you draft? Do you draft O-line or do you draft wide receivers? Everyone wants to draft a speedy wide receiver. Chase, Penny Sewell. Uh, okay. yep. Yeah, righto. Uh, in the passing game, I will... Hmm. Vaguely green light it, I guess. It's a big question just to say yes or no to. But it is a big it's question. It's important in a passing offensive game. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, this is a bit of an analytical question for you. Hive Mind Analytics Culture has unfairly devalued the RB and linebacker positions around draft time. Red light, green light. Uh, green light. Uh, you can get a lot of value out of a running back that you draft. The bigger issue is um, renegotiating with them for their second contract, in my mind. Specifically for the mm-hmm. Chargers, I would look at Robinson. I think he could make a huge impact on this team. Mm. But is he going to be somebody that we want to sign long term? I don't know. But drafting a running back in the first round gives you an extra year of that franchise tag, fifth-year option deal. So those yeah. back-end first-round oh. running backs do have a little bit of value in that sense. And Kyle, if you believe like the Jeremiah's and Brooks of the world, when you plop in your first round running back is when you're otherwise ready to win your Super Bowl right now. Mm-hmm. And that's where putting in Bijan Robinson might be the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it's, it is the position that got criminally destroyed from the CBA and the rookie wage scale because a lot of them come into yeah. the league in their prime because they've run, they've taken on so right. much tread in college. So it's... It's so a you, what you don't want to do is the Steelers where you go Najee Harris in a team that's otherwise not that good. 100%. You know, maybe, maybe the Chargers right now, they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jack. All right. So we will go one more each. So I'm going to go one to Al, back to Kyle, and then I'll finish on Andy. Yep. Uh, Alistair, this is back to that question that Kyle, uh, I guess, spoke about before, about the top three AFC quarterbacks. But... This is more precise. Red light, green light. Burrow has won the Herbert Burrow battle and it was not even close. Red light, green light. 
red light because we'll see this play out over the next 10 years and the battle ain't over, baby. The battle ain't over. I tend to agree with that one as well. All right, Kyle, last one for you, sir. Uh, This is a bit of a macro look, actually. As an American, I guess you've grown up with a lot more sport and conferences and things, and this is kind of a a recent addition that the league's made. But red light, green light, the NFL should return to six teams in each conference making the playoffs. Adding a seventh team has hurt the product. Red light, green light. That's got to be... I got to say red light. I don't have a problem with extra playoff teams personally. Uh, more games, the better. Um, the bigger mm-hmm. impact is having two teams with a bye um, in the first round of the playoffs. And there's reason to believe that buys can be detrimental. Hence my whole resting guys argument. Um, and we actually saw that play over guys. I, I, you probably don't follow baseball, but baseball has recently expanded their playoffs here. And this last playoff um, season, uh, a lot of teams that had a first round bye that didn't have to play in to get it. They, instead of having like um, a wild card round, they kind of had a play in round, like almost like a pre playoffs. But the teams that had that extra bye that didn't have to play in got smoked for the most part because they were too rested. Um, so hmm, actually moving the teams that have a bye from two teams to one team, I actually kind of like. Cool. It's like benefit. It's like benefit at your own peril kind of thing. Mm. You know, get the, get the, get the thing, finish first seed, get the week off. Yeah. See if it works. You should only get that by if you dominated in my mind, if your team was that good. I agree. Skill wise. All right, Andy, last one, red light, green light. I think we all know the answer to perhaps the first part of this question ourselves, but the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl overshadowing the storyline of how much better the AFC is than the NFC. Red light or green light? Uh, golly, it's going to be an absolute ball terror of a contest. Um, going to green light it. Yeah, I'm going to get behind the Eagles and I uh, hope they beat the Queefs. Um, Mahomes on one leg. I'm really loving everything that the – from Howie Roseman to um, – Nick Sirianni to Hertz developing to this team, AJ Brown. It's just awesome. Bradbury, the guys in the defense, it's cool. Uh, Green light it. And yeah, it will really, really show that the AFC couldn't get it done. Too many good, too many cooks in the, in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's how I think it'll be. I'm I'm banging for the Eagles this week. Done. Yeah. Red light, green light. Over. on. And that is just about the end of uh, officially the first season of TDU. Guys, uh, Mm. thanks heaps to all you listeners and viewers. If you've stuck with us, had a couple of drinks, we've got a bit fast and loose. Hey, Trey Kitty, you know I'm joking, baby. I love you. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Um, A really nice way to wind down and finish off what's been a, a pretty awesome year in more ways than one. Kyle, as always, dude, thanks. Uh, Thanks heaps for your time. Thanks, brother. Uh, On and off the show. Um, Talking football with you, man. It's it's really good fun, and it's good to have a, a correspondent in the in the locale that we can uh, rely on. And look, we look forward to her, the inevitable that you'll be back on the show soon enough. So uh, until then, take it easy yourself. Um, to all the listeners and viewers, guys. Yeah, like I said, it's been a roller coaster uh, of a season for for Chargers fans. Thanks again for tuning in. Hit the like and subscribe button on our YouTube page if you haven't already. 
You can find us on all except for Amazon uh, now <laughs> on the spot of, on the podcast uh, sites. Um, and stay in touch with the gang of the, the four of us. You can find the team at TDU underscore charges on Twitter. And Kyle is at the Kyle D. That's D-E at the end. We're going to take a little bit of time off over February and be back for a couple of shows through March. And then heading into draft season. Take care, legends. Bolt up. And don't forget, family trust, respect. We'll see you next time. See you later.